What a wonderful truth to be reminded of that we do need the Lord, need him in our life, need his guidance, need his direction, looking for a broken vessel to be used by him. We bring ourselves before him, ready for his work and in his timing with our circumstances, and God does incredible, incredible things. You know, that's the study through the book of Ruth. We're going to look at Ruth chapter 2 this morning. And as we do, we are remembering back to chapter number one, which was a very bleak story. Ruth and Naomi are facing a lot of circumstances that none of us would want to be a part of. There, were, there really was not a whole lot of highlights to chapter number one. But then we came to chapter two last week and things began to change. A lot of excitement took place, left us with great anticipation after Ruth meets Boaz. And uh, things are getting a little bit picking up speed here. Now remember chapter number two is a 24-hour period. So all that we're studying for three or four weeks in chapter number two happens in a 24-hour period of time. This, in this chapter that we're studying, Ruth is overwhelmed by grace. Boaz is surprised by love. Everything is really building to what God wants us to see as this incredible kinsman redeemer will be put into place by God's sovereignty and God's direction. There's a lot of wonderful lessons we learn about this process for Ruth. It's really a pretty cool story as we dig into it. Some of you anticipated this series as maybe one of your favorite books of the Bible or at least a favorite Bible study topic. You know, sometimes we want so desperately for God to change our circumstances. And we look at Ruth and we see that there were some circumstances that maybe even in the back of her mind she would have really wanted to change. But it wasn't based on her wishes to change those circumstances. What we find even in our own lives of those circumstances that we so desperately want changed, that's not necessarily what God wants. God wants changed hearts. God wants to use our circumstances, the crises of our lives, in order to draw us closer to him. He takes us out of our comfort zones. None of us like that. He stretches our faith. He shapes us, he chisels away at us, and he looks to conform us, to change us into the image of his son, Jesus Christ. And that sometimes means not changing our circumstance. That means allowing us to go through those circumstances of life in order for us to draw closer to God and to depend more and more on him. That's where Ruth is. Her circumstance are going to begin to change, not because she wants them to, but because God has shaped her heart. God has changed her desires. In chapter one, she was willing to leave everything behind from her mom and her dad, her home and her, her comforts and everything that she knew growing up in Moab, she has left behind to follow after Naomi, her mother-in-law, and says, your people will be my people, your God will be my God. And so her circumstances don't change just her heart changes. And when her heart changes, God is going to do something incredible. Now, remember last week, if you were here for the series and the study, you saw in verse number 10, her reaction to this incredible grace. In verse 10, she falls on her face, she bows herself to the ground, and she says unto Boaz, why have I found grace in thine eyes, that thou should take knowledge of me, seeing I am a stranger? I'm a foreigner, I'm an outsider, and yet you have come to be my rescuer. Remember, we as the followers of Jesus Christ, when we look back at the time when we were once the enemy of God, 
And now we sit at his table as the friend of God. Now we partake of his glory. Now we partake of his righteousness. Now we are blessed because of him. And what, Na- what Ruth is saying to Boaz, how does Boaz respond? Look at verse 11. Our text this morning, Boaz answered and said unto her, It hath fully been showed me all that thou hast done unto thy mother-in-law since the death of thine husband, and how thou hast left thy father and thy mother and the land of thy nativity, and art come unto a people which thou knowest not heretofore. The Lord recompense or repay, reward thy work, and a full reward be given thee of the Lord God of Israel, under whose wings thou art come to trust. I feel like that's a key statement that Boaz says. Verse 13, then she responds, let me find favor in thy sight, my Lord, for thou hast comforted me, and for thou hast spoken friendly unto thine handmaid, though I be not like unto one of thine handmaids. Boaz said unto her, at mealtime come thou hither and eat of the bread and dip thy morsel in the vinegar. Mmm, that sounds good. Carabas, bread, balsamic vinegar. Who wants to do lunch today? All right. Your treat. I'm with you. All right. Don't get distracted. Verse 14. And she sat beside the reapers, and he reached her parched corn, and she did eat and was sufficed and left. And when she was risen up to glean, Boaz commanded his young men, saying, let her glean even among the sheaves and reproach her not. And let fall also some of the handfuls of purpose for her, and leave them, that she may glean them and rebuke her not. So what's taking place here is remember from the Old Testament law, the farmers were required by law to cut the corners, leave the corners still standing, so that the the impoverished people, the uh, poor people could come, and they would be able to glean of that crop. Also, they were commanded that anything they accidentally dropped... Uh, they were to leave on the ground so that those who were coming behind them could take of them. So here Boaz is using strategy to provide even more for Ruth by commanding that they leave more standing for her to glean as well as to dump on accident purpose uh, some more for her to take. So this morning we're going to study these verses and we're going to look at this, this subject of under his wings, a very key statement that he says here in this text. Would you bow with me in prayer? Father, we start here at the very beginning, and um, we we want to show our full dependency on you for your message today. I pray that you would calm our spirits. We need distractions to be eliminated. We don't want our minds to be taken off of the text and what you would have for us today. I stand before this congregation, your church, humbled today that you have given me the privilege and the opportunity to communicate your message. So, Lord, guide us in these moments together that we might be changed and challenged, convicted because of your word. May it it take root into our hearts that we would take very practical steps of growth even today. For it's in your son's precious and holy name we pray it. Amen. Under his wings, what great protection provision, and even sacrifice comes in that moment of under his wings. In Florida, we know what that kind of protection looks like. It's like a dry place in the afternoons when those thunderstorms come rolling in, and it just dumps a ton of water, and you just want a place where you can be dry. 
It's also like the, the cool shade that can be found in the afternoons during the blistering heat that comes in the Florida summers. It's also hunkering down in a concrete structure while a hurricane whips through the land. It's, it's finding the moment of refuge. It is finding that place of security. And Boaz is recognizing that that comes in Ruth's life under the God Almighty who she has put her trust in. Now, often we try to find our refuge in other things. We try to find our safety, our security in other elements that seem to consume our passion in our heart. But Ruth is going to be clearly identified with Boaz here as finding her protection, her safety, because of her trust in an almighty God. So what was it about Ruth? I mean, why did Boaz say that she was under this protection or under this wing of the Almighty God? I believe in this text here, there's several things in these six verses that are key elements in an individual's life that finds themselves secure under his wings. Because in verse 11 and 12, we see this evidence in a changed life. Here is Ruth, whose life is being lived out and other people are seeing a difference. This is a changed life. Remember all through the book of Ruth, when her name is mentioned, there's a word that always comes right beside it, and that's a Moabitess, as being from Moab, the country that was the enemy of God, the place of strangers, the place of foreigners, a place where if you come from Moab into Judah, if you come into this place, you are going to be an outcast. But there was something so different about this Moabitess woman. There was so something different about this Ruth. There was a changed life that was evidence. Now, you know that there is always going to be evidence of changed, of a changed life, isn't there? Some people say they put their trust in Jesus Christ for their eternal salvation but they never have any change in their life. That's why it's important for us to teach very clearly from scriptures that it's not about a fire insurance certificate that gets you out of hell for free, but that you are taking Jesus as your Savior and as your Lord. You commit yourself as his servant. You commit yourself to being under his mastership. You have committed yourself to follow him, to deny yourself, to take up your cross daily and to follow after him. So the Christian life is a call, a call to change. Change is going to be evident by the things that happened in action. Remember, some of you, have you ever had someone say that they want to change or that they have changed? They say that they've changed. They say they will be different. They say that it will never happen again. You ever have that happen? Somebody say all of those things? And then what happens? There's no evidence of change. But then you've seen someone back those statements up with action. That's a big difference, right? Because the words are not the evidence. It's the action that becomes the evidence. And so a changed life is going to have fruit. A changed life is going to have clear evidence that can be seen by others. That's where Ruth is. And here's how Boaz responds. As a man of God who recognized a lady whose life had been changed by God, he says that you are under the wings of the one you have come to trust. Psalm 36, verse 7, the psalmist wrote, How excellent is thy loving kindness, O God! Therefore the children of men put their trust under the shadow of thy wings. 
Boaz here is saying, Ruth, I know that you've been through a lot, but God is not done with you. Boaz is saying, you have something on the inside that is worth protecting and something that is worth honoring. There is something different that has changed your life. The psalmist writes more about what the children of men experience when they put their complete trust in the shadow of his, of his wings. In Psalm 36, verse 8 and 9, he says, They shall be abundantly satisfied with the fatness of thy house, and thou shalt make them drink of the river of thy pleasures, or of thy delights, or thy joy. For with thee is the fountain of life, in thy light shall we see light. So you know what happens in our lives when we find ourselves under his wings? We find satisfaction. They shall be abundantly satisfied. Are you living an unsatisfied life? Are you evaluating day in and day out and you say, I lack satisfaction? It's because you're not finding yourselves trusting under the wings of the almighty God. You're trying to figure out everything on your own. You're trying to make it work. You're, you're running into brick walls. You're, you're hitting the dead ends. There's no outlet. You're turning around. You're wondering, what has happened? What is going on? Because when we find ourselves in the place under the wings of our God, we find satisfaction. He also continues and says that we find joy. We drink of the river of the pleasures, of his pleasures. This is delights, and it is, by the way, plenteous supply. It doesn't run out. So it is free refills on this joy. One of the things I hate about going to restaurants in foreign countries is you just get one drink, no free refills. I don't even think that exists here in America. It's like free refills, unless it's a specialty drink, I guess. But this is an endless supply of joy of his delight. And then there's also this experience of life that is full. It is it's larger than, than life itself. And he says, with you is the fountain of life. You remember what John 10.10 said? Jesus said these words. He said, the enemy comes not but for to steal, kill, and destroy. That's the enemy. That's Satan. Jesus continued by saying, but I am come that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. You know what the little translation is? That you might live life to the fullest. So Christian, live life to the fullest. You find that satisfaction, that joy, and that full life under his wings. His wings don't set up boundaries that keep us from enjoying life. His wings give protection and guidance. And this happened because of a changed life. Christian, God knows what you have been through. God knows everything that's going on in your life right now. Some of you have some some heavy, heavy burdens, some really difficult circumstances that you're facing. And though they vary from person to person, from, from pew to pew, God knows what it is, and he's not done with you. So Christian, don't throw in the towel. Don't give up. Don't think it's over, because God is not done with you. Make it right. Move ahead. Put your full trust and dependency on him. And find that satisfaction, joy, and life to the fullest under his wings. We also see she was, she was guided by a, a humble attitude in verse number 13. All throughout this process, Ruth is going to respond with such humility before this kinsman redeemer. She uses the word master here only because he's a landowner. He would have been a manager. He would have been a boss. He would have been a, an owner of this property. 
She is, is certainly finding herself in a, a proper reverence to him for his position, also showing gratitude for what he has done by extending these provisions, protection, as well as relationship within to her hand, his handmaids and this companionship with others. So Ruth was humbled and grateful for the grace that was shown to her by her Redeemer. And Ruth did not consume her mind with looking back at all of her, her dirty laundry. Ruth did not consume her mind by saying, well, let me tell you about all my trouble. When Boaz says to her, I know where you've been and I know what, you've, what you kind of have done. I know the decisions you've made. Ruth didn't interrupt Boaz. Uh, hold on. You only know the half of it, man. Hey, sit down for a spill and let me just tell you what it's like. She doesn't do that. She's not consumed with her past. She is just taking in the moment that God has provided. Yeah, she's got some really hard circumstances she's gone through. She lost her husband. She lost her father-in-law, her brother-in-law, probably a good friend in, in Orpah. Orpah goes home to her mother and father, and Ruth is trying to decide how and why and when to go with Naomi. Naomi has even pressured her with her bitter heart and say, just go back to your gods. My God's not worth serving. My God's uh, left me. Uh, my God's defeated me. And so against all odds, Ruth still moves forward to take on the one true Jehovah as her God. And she's in a state of humble, a, a humbled attitude. We think of our lives. So, so many times we're miserable because we spend our time focusing on ourselves instead of our great Redeemer. We focus so much on our own circumstance and problems that we don't realize what is right in front of us. Some of you have some really dark stories to tell, but don't be consumed with that. God knows what you've been through, and remember, he's not done with you yet. So move forward, plug ahead, look at the blessings that the great Redeemer has given you. Don't be so miserable in the life that you're living. As followers of Jesus Christ, some of us fall into these prideful traps of spending way too much time looking at ourselves. We concentrate on the negativity of other people, and we're overly consumed with our own circumstances. And you know what happens when that takes place? Here's the result. Insecurities, comparisons, doubt, complaining, discontentment, being self-centered. These are results of people who are so consumed with their own selves and their own circumstances. Now, sometimes you have to spend energy and time on your burdens. I get that. There are times where you take that before the Lord, and it is all-consuming in your mind because it's fresh and it's real and it's right there. But how often are we taught through the scriptures that we're not to fear, we're not to worry, we're not to doubt. Paul would remind Timothy that God has not given any of us as a follower of Jesus Christ an attitude of fear, but rather of power from the Holy Spirit, of love from Jesus Christ. We can love like he loves. And then of sound mind, clear thinking, the ability to remain stable in our thought processes. How many Christians are living that out? power by the Holy Spirit, loving like Jesus, and the ability to think clearly. That's complete opposite of being guided and governed by our fear. 
Now, when we become so insecure and in comparing ourselves among ourselves, and when we become so consumed by our own circumstances, all of these negative effects are going to result, without a doubt. So that's why we stay humbled before the Lord. We all know that pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall, Proverbs 16, 18. But don't forget what James wrote. He said, humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he shall lift you up. Speak not evil one of another. So uh, speak evil of one another is criticizing one another. Uh, speaking, don't speak evil is to judging one another. He says, speak no evil one of another, brethren, Christians. How many churches would stay intact and not split down the middle or people just flood the doors and leave if people had just humbled themselves? How many? Hey, Parkway, we have to keep that as a, a forefront that says we are here to remain humbled before the sight, before God. And if we don't stay humbled, this place will shatter because of the haughtiness of our spirits. That's why purposely, intentionally, we always say this is, this is God's church. I'm honored to be the, the shepherd that he has put in this place, but I don't rule with an iron fist. I am far from the dictator. I, I will not bark out commands. I will teach you biblical truths. I will steer you toward God's word, and I will pray biblical principles will guide your life so that you can make good decisions with the leading of the Holy Spirit in your life. And so here we would say that we must remain humbled before God. He says, speak not evil one of another, brethren. He that speaks evil of his brother and, and judgeth his brother speaks evil of the law and judge the law. But if thou judge the law, thou art not a doer of the law, but a judge. He said, there is one lawgiver who is able to save and to destroy. Who art thou judgest to another? So we would do well to learn from this little anonymous poem in your notes. Look at self and be distressed. Look at others and be depressed. But look at Jesus and you'll be blessed. Neat little poem for you to memorize. Hebrews 12 reminds us, Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, so let us lay aside every weight and sin which so easily besets us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. Then he says, Looking unto Jesus, who is the author and finisher of our faith. Jesus is the source of, and the completer of our faith. Where is your faith? He says, look unto Jesus, who is the source of our faith. Too many times we have our faith all scattered about with other things. Some of you have your faith in relationships. Some of you have your faith in investments. Some of you have your faith and trust in a career. Some of you even have your faith in a, in a child, in your kids, some of you have your faith in position and prestige. Some of you have your faith in so many things other than the source and completer of our true faith. By the way, that all happens because of humility. If we walk around life in this prideful spirit that we will accomplish what needs to be done, and we don't once refer to God's blessing and God's leading and God's guidance in our life, then we're a fool. For the humbled heart says, it's all because of God. 
So that's the followers of Jesus Christ. But there's also the seeker of the truth here today. Maybe you've never experienced a time in your life where you have confessed your sin before God, taken ownership of your sin. The Bible tells us, for all have sinned and fallen short, come short of the glory of God. We've totally missed the mark of Jesus Christ. And so since we're all in that boat, we know that we're sinners. And if there's never been a time in your life where you take ownership of that sin and confessed it before God and asked God to save your eternal soul, today I would classify you as a seeker of truth. You're just so desperately looking of where to bank your, your life. Why am I here? What's my purpose? What's after this life? What am I to do? Now, there's plenty, of, there's plenty of resources out there to try to find that answer. But here, you're among friends whose lives have been changed by the power of the gospel. The gospel message says that Jesus Christ died for our sins. And evidence of that death, his body was buried, literally buried in a tomb. And as he was buried in that borrowed tomb, three days later, just as he had already projected, he came back to life, a miracle of God, bringing Jesus Christ back from the dead so that he would live among men. He came back to life three days later. And by evidence of that, that resurrection coming back to life, he was seen by hundreds of people. So it was not just some uh, fable that people would write down that Jesus said he would come back to life, so I'm assuming he did. Let's write it down. No, he was actually historically proven and historically recorded. He was in the presence of hundreds of people before he would ascend to heaven. So now you can say, well, all of that's a fairy tale, and, and I don't believe it, but what I'm telling you is absolute truth. So you can walk in here and say, this church has pink pews. And you can believe that until the day is gone. But the absolute truth is that these are blue. Nothing can change that fact unless you reupholster them and fix them, change them. So nothing can change the truth of the gospel. It doesn't matter if you believe it or not. The reality is, is you're sitting among people who do and their lives have been changed because of it. Alcoholics who walked away from a bottle. Drug addicts who want no more. Lives who are engulfed in pornography and illicit sex. Peoples whose lives were in bondage to sin, anger, bitterness, hatred. All of those chains of bondage of sin have been removed because of the amazing grace of Jesus Christ. If we had the stories to tell or the opportunity to tell, people would flood the time frame to just tell their story of grace. That can be your story. As a seeker of truth, you can find Jesus Christ as your way, as your truth, and as your life. Ephesians 2, 8, 9 says, For by grace are you saved through faith, and not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. You want to talk about 2, 8, and 9 for a little bit? I want you to sit down and talk to Scotty Boyd for a few minutes, whose life was changed from Catholicism to a personal relationship in Christianity. It was following after a Jesus who loved him, not, not going through some, uh, some actions on the outside, completing a bunch of works, hoping that that would achieve him eternal life. So this grace is extended by Jesus Christ 
And salvation comes by that faith alone. If we could save ourselves, then Christ's death is pointless. And it means nothing. But if we realize that we cannot save ourselves, then Christ's death will mean everything to you. Verses 14 through 16, that brings us to the third and final element that is seen in a life that is under his wings. It is a life that is fulfilled by God's provisions. In our senior Bible study on uh, Friday morning, and by the way, we'll be doing that all summer. So any senior, senior saints uh, that would like to participate in the Bible study, 9 a.m. in the church lobby, we've got study books, come on and participate. But in our senior Bible study this past Friday, we looked at the uh, life of King Asa. That's who we'll be studying this summer. And King Asa was the third king in the kingdom of Judah, the southern kingdom. Israel under King David and King Solomon. After Solomon's death, everything became divided. It shattered in half. People went north and became the kingdom of Israel. People went south and became the kingdom of Judah. So then, so then Asa had a, had a grandfather, Rehoboam, and then his father, Abijah. These two men were the first kings of Judah. And then Abijah died suddenly, and so here comes Asa to the throne. What does Asa do at the very beginning is that he is going to seek after God for what God is going to do in the kingdom. And God provides a way through Asa to clean out the nation. He takes down the false altars to the false deities. He cleans up the cities and makes God a priority. Asa is even going to remove his grandmother queen who has been pursuing after false gods. How many of you have a grandma you'd like to remove in that way as well? Don't raise your hand, okay? Somebody say, I ain't touching grandma. Uh-uh. <laughs> so King Asa was being, was being shown by God his wisdom. But here's what happened in his 30, after his 35th year of reign. He took his trust off of God and put it on man. What? 36 years? I mean, that's a pretty good track record, Asa. I mean, you have seen 10 years of peace in your first 10 years of reign. You've seen God take your army into battle. You have seen God bring a spirit of revival in the, in the nation of Judah. You have seen all of this happen. And now, 36 years later, you're just going to take your eyes off of God and put it on man? What that tells all of us is that we have to be careful. Because what one man is in his 30s and 40s does not secure the man he's going to be in his 70s and 80s. Because if we ever become complacent and take our trust and our eyes off of God, we too will fall flat, just like King Asa did. So here, Ruth is going to find her fulfillment of God's provision through Boaz. Why? Because she trusted she just simply trusted. Her trust fueled her into action. Ruth did not just sit around with Naomi every day as two widow ladies wondering what was going to happen. Ruth didn't just cross her arms and say, that next knock on the door, I hope it's going to be my knight in shining armor. No, she had to go out. She had to get busy. She had to work hard. She had to understand her circumstances were not going to define her. She was trusting in a new God, God Jehovah, true God, and she was going to move forward. And you know what happened because of it? She found Mr. McDreamy, just like we talked about last week. And now everything's falling into place, not because Ruth wanted her circumstances to change, 
but because God changed her heart. Now, Ruth's journey brings her to this place of provision and stability because she trusted completely in God. And Christians, we find complete satisfaction through the word of God and through the son of God. That's where our satisfaction comes. If you listen to the voices of the world, you're going to be discouraged, aren't you? And did anything happen this week? Did anything come across the TV, the newspaper, or internet, or, or, or conversation? Did anything come across your way this week that was discouraging? Raise your hand. Anybody? Okay, just five of us, okay? <laughs> the rest of you aren't watching the news, all right? So if we listen to the voice of the world, it's discouraging. And if you look to the world's ways to find your fulfillment and your satisfaction, you're always going to come up empty. But when we look for our satisfaction in the Son of God and in his, in his Word, it always leads us to obedience. Okay, And that obedience is going to lead to contentment. So what's the complete opposite of that? Disobedience, discontentment. So when we're listening to the world and we're trying to find our satisfaction in that, disobedience, discontentment. For the Christian, God's provision is not always a, a cause and effect issue. Isn't it easy in the Christian life to think, okay, if I do A and B and I do it very well before God, then C and D are going to come my way five days later, free shipping and handling. Praise the Lord, right? <laughs> cause and effect. Now, God's covenant to Israel was very clear. He made it very clear that he said, you obey, you will be blessed. You disobey, you will be cursed. So yeah, that's cut and dry. But in the Christian journey, in the Christian life, too often our motivation is cause and effect. We say, if I can just get A and B accomplished and God sees it, then I, there's no doubt this is going to happen. You see, that's not, that's not God's plan for us. His fulfillment is going to come in a way that is, is a part of a parental guidance. Sometimes God withholds that which we so desperately desire, not as a tease issue, but as a trust issue. You, parents, you've done that with your kids, right? There's something that they really want. 9.30, 10 o'clock at night, they still, they're like, hey, can I have this package of gummy worms? And you're like, oof. Well, if you'll split it with me, yeah, we can, all right? <laughs> no, we know that 9.30, 10 o'clock is definitely not the time to be digging into gummy worms, okay? And, um, and, and so there's a reason why we withhold the desire, not as a tease, but as a trust issue, they don't get it. Hey, they want to pig out on cake and ice cream and cupcakes and, and candy all day long because they're not thinking about the middle of the night when they wake up going, Bleh, all right? And you have to run from your bedroom to get the trash can and clean up with Lysol wipes. They don't understand the consequences. So for you to say, okay, no more cake and ice cream today, that's not a tease to your kids. That becomes a trust issue. Trust me, you don't want cake and ice cream right now. God does that with us. Except for the cake and ice cream is a lot bigger. And there's so many things in our life that we desire, so desperately want. And God withholds them not for as a tease issue, but as a trust issue. It says, I'm sovereign, and I know what's best in your plan. God was in this process of providing Ruth some, some really life-changing moments. Can I, can I just end with a really quick thought here? Um, the story of Ruth and Boaz is a pretty, pretty romantic. It's like a Hallmark movie just laid out here on the script. And 
when we find this romance that kicked off last week with Boaz and Ruth and just this moment of butterflies and the intensity of what's building up, I think there's something for us to really notice about Boaz and Ruth. Now, there's enough single people in here that as a pastor, I'm really burdened to share this thought with you. In the moment of pursuing companionship, make sure that that the foundation of knowing God and loving God is paramount in that individual's life. Now remember, there is a, there's a big difference. I shouldn't say knowing God because now I'm at a place where I say there's a difference between knowing God and there's a difference between believing in God or believing what God has said. So we all know God and even the devils believe in God, but then there's believing what he said And that's that Jesus Christ is the only way, truth, and life. And that no man comes unto the Father but by me. So here's what happens in our single days, is that we're so desperately wanting companionship and relationship that we're willing to allow the spiritual world, the spiritual realm, to take a back seat. Well, they they come to church with me. Or they go through the motions but are they engaging in spiritual processes in their life and in your relationship? See, Boaz and Ruth, what Boaz saw right away in our text today was that she was a godly woman whose heart had been given to God, the true Jehovah. This was not some pretty girl that just took his breath away. By the way, nowhere in the book of Ruth does it describe that Ruth was a pretty girl. Who knows what she looked like? But she was a godly girl. And Boaz wanted that. And then what Ruth noticed about Boaz was not by default. She didn't have the conversation with Naomi before she left Moab to come to Israel. And and Naomi didn't say, now, Ruth, honey, if you'll just come with me, I've got a kinsman that I just want to meet. I want you to meet. He's rich. He's kind. He's a protector. And he's the sweetest guy you're going to ever meet. I want you to come meet him. Naomi did none of that. So Ruth is coming just to do what God has called her to do. And in the midst of obeying God's will for her life, God brings Mr. McDreamy her way. But remember, it was not her goal and ambition to find him. It was that this was a part of God's design. What am I getting at? I've been in ministry for 21 years since my first internship in 1998. And I cannot tell you the long list of individuals, teenagers, college students, and even just singles in their middle of adult life who have given their heart to an individual who are very limited in their Christian journey or their Christian journey doesn't even exist. And what happened with that Christian is they said, well, as we date, I'll share more of Jesus with them. Or if we get married, you know, I'll take them to church. I'll take her to church with me. It it just never happens that way. And I can tell you 20, 30, 40 names of individuals who have tried to go down that road and didn't make God a priority in their relationship, and all of a sudden they become a statistic of Satan who have wandered away from God and wandered away from the church. Why? All in the name of earthly love. So please, be wise, be discerning, In the multitude of counselors, there is safety. If he is not where he needs to be spiritually today, he doesn't deserve your time. 
If she is not making steps of progress to be more like Jesus Christ, she doesn't need your time. You know who they need time with? Is Jesus Christ, not with you. But that also bears us the responsibility that we're dating Jesus. That our relationship with him is growing, building, and becoming more uh, fruitful day in and day out. So under his wings, Ruth is going to find a place of safety, security, of provision, of protection. In 1892, after a year of intensive work in Great Britain, D.L. Moody sailed for home. He was so eager to get back home with his family and get back to his work. And so the ship left Southampton, and, and uh, he, he headed out amid many farewells, saying goodbye. The ship, as it sent off three days into the ocean, it became grounded, and it became to a halt with a broken shaft. And before long, it began to take on water to the ship. Needless to say, the crew and passengers were desperate because nobody was sure whether the vessel would sink or, or maybe not sink. And, and then nobody knew if there was a, a rescue ship nearby. There's no way of communication easily in 1892. So after two days of anxiety, D.L. Moody asked for permission to hold a meeting. And to his surprise, nearly every passenger on that ship came to the meeting with D.L. Moody. He opened his Bible to Psalm 91 and Holding on to a pillar to steady himself from back and forth, he read these words. He that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. Hmm. Moody would later write these words, quote, It was the darkest hour of my life. But relief came in prayer. God heard my prayer and enabled me to say from the depth of my soul, thy will be done. I went to bed. I fell asleep almost immediately. Well, the rest of the story is that God answered prayer and saved the ship and sent another vessel to tow it back to port. And Psalm 91 became a vibrant new scripture to D.L. Moody, and he discovered the incredible truths. As you and I must also discover these truths from under his wings, we will see this place in a world that is crashing around us. Hey, sir, ma'am, is your ship taking on water today? Are you looking, wondering if this, the ship is going to sink, or is there a rescue vessel somewhere nearby? Some of you are wondering, what is going to happen in these next few months? What is taking place in my life? I'm losing control. That's when we find Psalm 91 and discover that the safest place in the world is in the shadow of the Almighty under his wings. Would you join me there today? Under his wings.